quite a few years ago, I was training for a really big bike ride, like a 100-mile day, kind of the equivalent of a marathon, but on your bike. And alongside training, I was raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. If you've ever heard of the organization Team in Training, that was the group I was with. And since I signed up with this group, I was connected with 16 other cyclists who were doing the same thing. We had a few volunteer coaches who would help us train for the big ride. And one Saturday in the midst of that training, instead of riding in Wichita, we drove up to Topeka, Kansas to participate in an organized event, a, uh, an organized ride that was gonna be 65 miles on a mid-September day. Now, mid-September, as you know, it's true in Nebraska as well, can have amazing weather. This day did not have amazing weather. When we got out of our cars, we discovered it was cold. It was windy. It was raining lightly. It was a lot like today here in Papillion, as a matter of fact. We groaned, but our coach had no mercy. He said, we're riding. So we reluctantly put on our coats and our gloves and clipped into our pedals and we started pedaling. And not long after we got started, someone, well, it was Dale, he got a flat tire. Now, we always rode as a team. No one struck out on their own. So all 17 of us stopped and waited for the tube to be changed in Dale's tire. A few minutes later, we pedaled on in the rain and the cold and the wind, and pretty soon we heard a yell from the back of the group, Dale had another flat tire. So we stopped and we waited for the tire to be changed. And we started up again, and we were not five miles down the road before a yell came from the back, we are stopping. Guess what, a third flat tire. Guess whose bike it was on? <laughs> Dale's. So we stopped. While the coach helped change yet another tire with cold, wet fingers, he could hear the rest of the cyclists in the group getting a little restless. We were murmuring, we were muttering, we were cold. We were wondering how in the name of all that is holy can one guy get three flat tires in less than 10 miles? We were not amused. So before we started out again on that fourth time on this big ride, our coach made us get into a circle. Still on our bikes, all our front wheels pointed in, close enough that our handlebars were touching, and he said, it's been a tough start to the ride, but we ride as a team. We finish as a team. We succeed as a team. And to remind us of this, he made us do this cheer that he had taught us a few weeks previously. While we were standing there in the circle all together, the coach yelled, and I mean he yelled, what's my job? And 16 other voices yelled back, to love us. You didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> then he yelled, what's your job? And 16 other voices yelled back, to love each other. The coach yelled, go team. And we pulled out of the circle and we rode on. Now that was not the first time or the last time that we did that cheer together, but I think it was the most important time because it helped us reorient. It reminded us what we cared the most about. It brought us together and it focused us on our work. I like that cheer. 
Every time we would do it, though, I always wanted to whisper at the end, that's the church. (laughs) I always had this sense that my coach was kind of borrowing from my material as a pastor when he did that. I mean, here at the church, we know first and foremost that we are loved by God and we are to love God in return. But after that, what's my job? To love us, you guys. And what's your job? To love each other. Now, what's that love look like? What's that love look like? It's probably not ever going to look like waiting in the rain for someone to change a flat tire on their bike. Though I would do that for you if we needed to. But what concrete acts of love do we see here? Do we share with one another? The love that we share as a congregation, we can describe it in a hundred different ways, but one of the key ways that we talk about it in the United Methodist Church is through this vow that we make when we become members of the church. We stand up in front of the congregation and we say, this is my community. This is the place I want to grow in my faith. This is where I experience the presence of God. This is where I want to be my spiritual home. And then we offer five things to one another. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Those are the words that describe the acts of love that we're going to offer to one another here. Prayers. Pastor Bellarmi did such a great job last week helping us think about those and reminding us of the power of prayer. Presence, we talked about two weeks ago, that it, it makes a difference that you're here. You make a difference by showing up here in the sanctuary or online, connecting with each other during the week over social media, calling somebody you know had a hard week. Prayers, presence, gifts. We offer our gifts to one another and to the mission of this congregation, and in so doing, we offer our gifts to God. Now, I will admit the word gifts is a little vague. Prayers, presents, those are pretty clear, hard to misconstrue those. We hear them, we know what they mean, but what about gifts? What does it mean to share our gifts? Are we going to go shopping for birthday presents for one another? No. Though our membership care committee does a great job, actually, of sending cards on birthdays to our oldest members. I love they do that. But if not birthday or Christmas gifts, then what? I I have a secret to tell you today. And that is, there is not any place that these five words of our membership vow are officially defined. The question, it's printed in the hymnal, you can look at it in the hymnal. As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, your witness? But there's no explanatory note at the bottom to tell us what those things mean. There's no paragraph in the United Methodist Book of Worship outlining what they mean. Those five words are listed in our official book of rules and procedures, the Book of Discipline, as a part of church membership, but even there, in that book that loves to explain everything, there is no explanation. So, despite that lack of official word, I bet that if you took a poll among United Methodist pastors, the vast majority would say, gifts, members promising to support the congregation with our gifts, means, what do you think? What do you think? Money. You said it so quietly. 
I think that's what most pastors would, most pastors would say. Money it means money. Now, it can mean other things. Of course it can. I've certainly been the pastor to people who simply could not afford to give any money to the church. They were on a fixed income, usually depending only on Social Security to give by in retirement, and they barely had enough to pay their bills. So to give really anything to the church felt an impossibility. So they found other ways to live out this promise of gifts. Right? They came by and they weeded the flower garden around the church once a week, or they helped the staff prepare office mailings, or they knitted prayer shawls, or in some other way they devoted time and energy and good cheer to the common mission of the church. And they did it faithfully, and they did it wonderfully, and I was always grateful for their gifts. But the number of church members that I have pastored who could not afford to give anything to the church, that's been very few people, a small percentage, so for those of us who do have enough money to pay our bills and have a little or a lot left over, sharing our gifts with one another can mean non-monetary things, but it also means money. It means money. It means giving part of our abundance toward the good of others, toward the glory of God. And when we give, we do so in praise to God and in thanksgiving for everything God has given us. That was certainly the attitude of the psalmist that we just heard from in Psalm 116. You know, if we read through the book of Psalms, we're going to find all different kinds of psalms, songs for all kinds of occasions. And this one happens to be what's called an individual hymn of thanksgiving. And in it, the singer praises God for God's goodness to them, perhaps for God's deliverance from a terrible situation. The great psalm scholar Hermann Gunkel says, the occasion on which these kinds of songs would have been offered, a, a person was saved out of great distress, and now with a grateful heart, he brings a thank offering to Yahweh. And it was customary at a certain point in that ceremony that he would offer a song in which he expresses his thanks. So you can imagine in the middle of bringing that offering to God in the temple that someone would have sang this Psalm 116. So that was the original context someone singing their individual thanks to God, but eventually this particular psalm came to be a communal kind of praise as well, a thanksgiving to God used every year by the whole Jewish community. And that's because Psalm 116 is now read as part of a larger group of five psalms known as the Egyptian Hallel. Well, the word Hallel in Hebrew, it means praise. You recognize that because it's related to the expression Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And uh, that word actually begins and ends a lot of the psalms in this grouping, including Psalm 116, has that word hallelujah at the end. Now, since, the, since ancient times, the Egyptian Hillel has been used in the celebration of Passover, okay? That moment when Jewish people remember and celebrate how God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. So when we hear this psalm, when we read Psalm 116, we can think of what God has done on a big scale, right? like bringing people to freedom through the sea. And we can think about what God has done individually, bringing someone out of dark or hard circumstances. When we pray this psalm, when we read Psalm 116 and we pray it, we can pray it as thanksgiving to God for big things, like giving us life, like saving us and the world through Jesus Christ. Or we can pray it for a small kind of thanksgiving, helping us in small moments of trouble, providing for what we need for today. Psalm 116 covers all of that. 
Remember what the psalmist says, What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Pay his vows. That probably means his thank offering. What we might call giving a gift to God. It could be bringing money. It could be bringing an animal. An offering to the temple and thanksgiving for all that God has given and done. You probably know this is just one of many places we find in scripture where someone gives money as an act of thanksgiving to God. And in the Old Testament, the expectation is set out that as an act of faith, in response to God's goodness to us, people are asked to give a tithe of all their income. It can be money, or it can be grain, or something like that. In the New Testament, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were still tithing. Jesus doesn't give us any other kind of standard, so that's something that we still considered as kind of the baseline here in the church. 10% of our yearly income as an act of thanksgiving. Now, this is obvious, but I'm just going to say it out loud. If we give 10% to bless other people, that leaves 90% of our income for us. I was going to make you do the math there, but I just thought I'd do it for you. 90% of our income for us. We can give more, of course, than the 10%. We can, but that's just a goal, a goal for us to have. Now, what does that look like? What does giving that gift look like? How do we respond in thanksgiving for all God has given us? Well, it means that we release 10% of our income to bless others, to do good in the world, to support the work of God through the church and through other causes that align with the kingdom of God. Now, Pastor Amy, does that 10% mean before tax or after tax income? Is that before my contribution to my health insurance or before or after my retirement savings? That's something for you to figure out, okay? I'm not gonna get into all the nitty gritty with you. I will tell you that Matt and I, we give away at least 10% of the money that comes into our bank account from our paychecks. That's what we do. Some of that is pre-tax and some of that is post-tax and I'm not gonna bore you with the details, but it's just simple for me to just see what comes in the bank account and have 10% of that go back out the door. I will say it took some time to build up to that. Matt and I both did that as single people and when we got married, we both had that habit, but it took some time to arrange our lives in such a way that we could send that money off to the church or to other causes that we cared about without worrying or stressing our own finances. You know, and sometimes uh, still when I look at what that total is for the year, I'm like, oh, that's not a small number. But we have found that it blesses us so deeply. It blesses us so deeply to contribute at least 10% to be generous in that way, to let some of our resources go towards supporting this worship life, this congregation, and supporting the needs of others in the world. It just, it feels really good to invest in our common mission. Now we're in this moment, this season of the year, we're here at the church, we're planning the budget for 2022, and, and so we're just asking you to take a moment to look at your own 2022 income too. Spend some time over the next week or two prayerfully considering what you wanna contribute to the mission of St. Paul's. Early next week, you should get a letter from me that's gonna contain an estimate of giving card. And I just want to make clear for everyone exactly what that is, especially if you haven't filled one out before. What we're asking for is an estimate 
of your giving. We don't call them pledge cards anymore. What we're looking for is an estimate of your giving. And so if your financial situation changes along the way in 2022, if you change jobs or you have a period of unemployment or you have a new baby, not too many of you in this room are gonna do that, but you never know. Or if you have a serious health crisis of some kind, if something changes, we, we wanna be there for you as a part of your team, but also you can adjust your estimate of giving anytime. Filling out a card now, it's just a way for you to plan and for us to plan the church budget. It just helps us know as we plan our expenses for next year. Secondly, I, I wanna encourage you that as you fill out that card, to do so whatever level of giving you're at currently. Some of you here are tithers. You give full 10% or even more of your income and you've been doing that for a long time and you know that it feels awesome to support ministry in that way. Some of you here, you're giving five to 8% and that's great too. Maybe this is the moment when you can think about stepping up to a full 10% tithe and just see how that feels, see how that works. Some of you are given like 1% or 2% of your income and that's great. That's a wonderful place to start and I hope that you feel good about it. And I hope that you'll consider what it might mean to raise a percent or two in the thanksgiving that you offer to God this year. And then there's some of you here who've never given regularly to the church. You might do it if you have an extra $10 in your wallet. Though if you're like me, you never have cash. Right? There's no such thing as cash in my life. Uh, which is why I'm really glad. I just want to say that we have online giving. <laughs> we can set it up as an automatic withdrawal from our bank account. That's how I do all the rest of my uh, bill paying and banking and all that. So I'm really glad we have that here at the church. If you need more information about that, let me know. Anyway, some of you have never given regularly to the church, and so especially to you, I just want to encourage you to consider trying that this year. Even if it's just a few hundred bucks, like 30 or 40 bucks a month. Commit to that, write it down on the card you're going to get next week, and see how it feels. See what kind of satisfaction and joy it brings to you to be a part of our mission here in a financial way. Now, a few months after our wet and windy ride in Topeka, that one that was full of flat tires, I went on with that bicycle team to ride 100 miles in one day in Tucson, Arizona. Now, that was a fabulous day. And it was so much more meaningful because I didn't do it alone. I did it with my teammates. I accomplished it with the same people that I had trained with through the heat and the wind and the wet and the cold and those long days in the sun. And when we crossed that finish line, all 17 of us in a big pack, it was awesome. And as importantly, we raised tens of thousands of dollars together to support leukemia patients and funding for research. It meant the team that was with us in spirit as we crossed that finish line, it was so much bigger than the 17 cyclists who rode together. It included hundreds of funders and friends. Together, we did so much more than we ever could have alone. And my, my challenge to you this week, it's obvious, to take a moment to consider and talk with your family about what part of your resources you want to give away in 2022. Pray about it. Ask for God's guidance about how much you want to give and where you want to give it. Ask God for a spirit of thanksgiving and joy. Thank God for all that you've been given and the power that we have to bless others and honor others with our gifts. And come to worship next week, ready to celebrate the abundance of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.